Hey, everybody. We're finally out of the house after <laughs> a little bit of quarantine. So you're going to have to forgive us for any sounds of seagulls or people flying kites or uh, sometimes people like to go up and down PCH, which we're looking at PCH. We're here at Huntington Beach. Yeah, there's and, a little bit uh, of traffic noise. But we're so glad uh, that you could uh, come out with us on this wonderful sunny day. It's springtime, getting ready for summer. And we're looking at a text here where we're really now kind of dealing with uh, hopefully folks who have come through the first chapters with us. Uh, the, the first parts, part one through nine, where we're smashing stuff up, you know, we're uh, thinking for ourselves, we're, uh, you know, being critical uh, and uh, kind of emancipated from, from structures and things that might, might be getting in our way. Now the question is, how do we deal with our, our lives now if we're trying to live free spiritually and, and emotionally and financially from these, these things that seek to enslave us? Um, Sometimes we can get kind of, we can get really bitter about it. We can, we can become folks who make our yeah. identity of being always still about a fight. So how do you respond? You know, how, yeah. how, how do we move forward is sort of, you know, I think what we're going to focus on this and, week. And who are our allies, mm-hmm. right? Who are the people that are on our side and how should we receive them? That sort of thing. But all of this comes from chapter 10. No, we have it. We call it. Don't register your patent. <laughs> don't. Re- Everyone tells you, you know, make sure you patent that idea. Make sure you get it uh, copyrighted and trademarked. And and we're not saying that that's not something to do in normal business practices. But when we're talking about these big ideas, the big mission. I mean, and I think the the real brief summary of it would be: you can't really, you know, you can't patent the way of Jesus. You can't patent the way of God. It's it's out there for all to enjoy and exist. But we'll go into more detail about that. I'll read the. The the passage, it comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 42. And it says, Jesus asked the disciples, what were you discussing? But they remained silent since as they were on the road, they had been discussing with one another, which of them was the greatest. So sitting them all down, he called the 12 together saying to them, if anyone wants to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. And picking up a child, he sat in their midst and embracing it, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. John replied, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name who was not one of our group. And we told him to stop because he was not part of us. But Jesus said, do not prohibit him. For no one who performs a powerful work in my name will be easily able to speak ill of me. Whoever is not against us is on our side. Indeed, I assure you, whoever might give you a cup of water to drink because you come in the name of the Messiah will not lose his reward. And to whoever might put a roadblock in the way of one of these little ones who believes in me, it would be better for him to put a heavy millstone around his neck and get tossed into the sea. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful little ending image. We there. originally were just going to talk about that millstone around the neck thing as maybe like an opening intro study or something, but uh, it, I think it fits in well here because of the whole. But it, it's something that's really close to our hearts in a lot of the work that, that we're doing and mm-hmm. want to do with Protect Your Noggin 
It's the the deep concern for children. Meanwhile, what are the big people doing? <laughs> so we started out with them fighting about who's the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of um, you know back when I was a kid, and you know I had three sisters, and all of us at the time, you know, when we were in grade school or whatever, I could just see that you know discussion. I'm better than you. I'm better. I get to be up front or whatever. You know, all those things. But it's like they they also kind of immediately knew that they were embarrassed you know, about what the subject was. Like, you know how, Yeah, they like, weren't saying it. When somebody asks, <laughs> when somebody asks, okay, wait, what, what are you guys, about? what are you guys talking about? And then they, they kind of, I think, had this instant, like, little shameful,ness of like, or you know, probably guiltiness. It's not really shameful. It's probably mm. guilty of like. Well, they're maybe ashamed of themselves. <laughs> well, but then, <laughs> like again, who's the greatest? I can tell you this: the person that needs to declare themselves the greatest is never the greatest. Yeah. I mean, and that's what if that's what you're looking for. People, you know, there have been heroic types that want to exploit. Uh, you know, great, you know, uh, the high seas or, you know, um, be the greatest at a sport. But it, it's kind of suspect when somebody just wants to be famous, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or, or just, so it's, it's kind of noble to want to be great at something for that something, for that, that conquest. I, I get that. That's part of the game. But to just want to be famous but not have the content behind it. And that's not really what they're doing here. They actually, I mean, maybe they are, but they're actually thinking about an actual kingdom that they think is going to be established that has the sort of kingdom-like stuff. Well, and if you, I mean, also like... Princes and dukes. (laughs) If we're we're reading, you know, the rest of the passage, it does talk about how, like, they... They're coming off of not being able to cast out a certain demon also from... um, Yeah. From somebody. And so... and. And Jesus responds that this one is a, um, sorry, this one is one that is, can only be done through prayer or something. You yeah, know? Which I have no idea what yeah, that means. I, I don't know either. Yeah. But like, what does I, that mean? And I don't, I, honestly, I don't know if it came before or after, but this is what's yeah, around no, it's there. coming so, into it. So there's a spiritual work that Jesus does, and he's able to do things like br- he brings this child back up to normal life, and they couldn't do So then I think a, they're thinking, thing. well, we can't do that. So like, I could, but I could do this. I could do that. Like, it reminds right. me of, you know, like, that's how they're kind of consoling themselves. Who's got the most power here? But then Jesus sits him down and says, if you want to be first, you need to be last, which is so... I guess, opposite of the way of uh, often the way our world thinks. Um, yeah. the, what we're told kind of in, in society often. I mean, other, <laughs> I, I guess perhaps maybe the show Undercover Boss for those of you that might be old enough to know, like you, they kind of, we, we have understood a little bit of what it means to, you know, take off your highfalutin, you know, power and titles and stuff and then go join, you know, the, the masses and the, the, from all positions of a company mm. in order to be able to understand how to improve it because then yeah. you know what it's like and how it's functioning on all levels. Um, and often we're not willing to get our hands dirty, you know, um, not often enough. We want people, it's they known that we want to be yeah, on the top and that, that we don't have to worry about, um, you know, but, the, the lowest levels. But you know what's weird about that undercover boss thing is it still plays into this myth that goes back to the real to the roots of Western civilization and culture, the way we think of the world, the way we think of what what, what they call in philosophy ontology or being. So when you study what it is to, to be, the undercover boss is this super rich guy who is pretending to be normally, you know, the average <laughs> given, Joe. Given a little budget, usually, but, and has to make you know, like. 
but he's also secretly the the king. He's secretly mm-hmm. the boss. And then at the end, he's going to bestow all these great things that come from above. Yeah, that's true. Instead of <laughs> yeah, changing true. the way the lives of the people on the bottom necessarily living, maybe they do sometimes, and sometimes they they really do reach Improved out practices and, and, yeah. or whatever. They often bring you know that's happened and, and that's good. But the the idea of the great chain of being goes back. You know, to to you know Plato and Aristotle, but it was really important in the Middle Ages. This idea, the great chain of being, the stuff on the bottom is like minerals, and God's at the top. So if you think of this big pyramid, and uh, everything has a hierarchy. That is, there's like a structure. There's a some things and beings are over other beings, and this is the way the world has to work. It's kind of like the caste system in India. But this is kind of more of the, the Western European version of it. And so you've got, like, the best mineral is gold. Mm. And the lowest is lead. Mm-hmm. And alchemists would try to change lead into gold. And then the best plant is a, is a rose. The and the best, flower, yeah, the best tree is an oak. The best animal is the lion. And the best person is the king. All so if according you king, to whom? <laughs> according to this, this worldview, this yeah. way of seeing the world, where some are above others. Instead of um, what, what is called, uh, this guy Latour talks about a flat ontology. He's a Catholic thinker. That, that everything's interdependent on everything else. Instead of having to emphasize this, again, this hierarchy. So you bring up an interesting point there with you know, the Middle Ages and stuff and, mm-hmm. and just... So can you explain a little bit more about how power worked and, and what was important about that? Yeah, with the church especially. And I think that the whole Middle Ages, the, the whole history of the medieval Europe, I'm preparing for a class on this in fall, and I'm just noticing how from really the start to the finish of that period, it's about this, this tug of war between the church and the state. So you, you kind of start it with Constantine the Great, the Roman emperor, who converts to Christianity and then, and then convenes the Council of Nicaea. And so he is the emperor who's now kind of in charge of the church. And before the church was persecuted and, and separate from empire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now empire and church are like this, the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then that gets difficult. And uh, then you get to 800 with Charlemagne. Charlemagne is crowned um, by the um, by, uh, by the Pope, and so even though that's great, here he is. He's the you know he's the king, he's king of the Romans, but um, it was given to him by the Church, and so they're they're always kind of playing this game throughout the Middle Ages, and it comes all the way down to the 16th century when we get to the end of the Middle Ages, when we get to the Renaissance and Reformation. Henry VIII famously breaks from the Pope, so he can get a divorce. But he's, he's kind of in this, this power play. Mm-hmm. And so then they put the Archbishop of Canterbury in England underneath the king. And so like the, the whole, from start to finish, it's this question of who, who gets to run it. And, and very rarely do people come along. There's some heterodox people that come along every once in a while and say, hey, can we go back to a republic where, where there's this... Um, this way in which neither an em- em- empire nor a, a pope are going to oversee what we do in our lives, but we are going to, as a republic, you know, essentially have representative government that's, that's not about this hierarchy, this great chain of being. But we're still kind of stuck in that world. We still kind of think of things as a part of this hierarchy. And maybe the hierarchy changes now. It's 
you know, more of the magic of being a celebrity or something as opposed to being, you know, some person of royal blood. But here's the problem. If you look at this gospel, the whole thing from the start is, is, you know, Jesus trying to nip this in the bud that don't, that question, that question of who's in, who's in power, who's in the hierarchy, Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. There is no hierarchy. If you need to think about top and bottom, get to the bottom. Right. And that's when then Jesus, in this, in this passage, he ends up pulling, you know, pulling up a child, right? Right. And it says, whoever receives one of these children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, uh, not, uh, sorry, and whoever receives me, receives not me, but the one who sent me. And so I think, you know, again, that's the, the bottom up mentality. It's the, you know, Hey, here, maybe you don't understand here. We need to be talking about the, even the, the little children the who least. had no say over their own lives. Yeah. It was, right? it was, it wasn't just that they're cute. It was that they had no status. Yeah. There's these persons that have no personhood in, in really the eyes of society or the law. And so he's saying, you're looking for emperors and you're looking for, High priests. Yeah. But when did you take care of one of these people that aren't able to take care of themselves? And, and take care of them and listen to them, I think, in yeah. a way, right? Like, or, or, or take their um, example mm-hmm. and run with that, right? Like, like it's... it's um, yeah, because we're told to have faith like a child. You were saying this morning, like, you know, you were saying, I don't know, you know, what, what are we going to do with this podcast? It's so simple, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, you know, there it's, is- there, it's 12 pages you, you've got <laughs> there, but, you know, hey, it's, you know, it's simple. Well, what did you mean by that? Because it seems like. Well, I mean, I guess the, <laughs> I, I, the part of it is, is that it's not new information, you know, for me or a new way of even really seeing it, but it is something that maybe you hear so often that I think also we can get numb to it, you know, and, and, you know, the first will be last and the last will be first, but like, do we ever really, really stop and think about that, you know, and what does it mean to be, um, you know, again, receiving the children and, and later on, he even talks about, you know, about, uh, having one of them cause one of them to stumble. Like, so first of all, receive them, but second of all, you know, better, you know, like it, it really isn't good for you at all if um, if you ever do anything to hurt one of these you know yeah. little ones and and put something in their way, right? And it's funny how these are connected. It's connected for us for this whole podcast series for the for the study book, the connection between power and destructive patterns of behavior for children. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize till this week when we were prepping for this that that's exactly the connection here. Um, but the connection is uh, it's the literary nature of Mark. Do you know what it's called? <laughs> uh, no. It's something about a Mark sandwich or something? It's the Markin sandwich. <laughs> uh, there's other more technical terms for it. But the idea is that Mark, the gospel writer, is really good. At, he'll, he'll start a story, and then he'll stop the story and put in another story. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're not resolved on the first story. And so you've, you know, you wonder, well, what's going on with that? And then it comes back to the original story and it kind of frames this other story within it. And uh, often you can see that the way that he puts these stories together is part of his message, what he's trying to say. So I, I think that all this business with children and this business of who gets to have the power of Jesus' work, the message. Mm-hmm. He, you can't detach it. This isn't, this isn't really a good Mark and Sandwich. This is more of like, <laughs> um, 
like a club sandwich where you've got an extra piece of bread in the middle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You got outside bread except, and inside bread. Except I do see that it, you know, it makes for a good illustration of the point that he's trying to make. Yeah. So when he says, you know, well, the, the first part is all of the words of saying, you know, that no, like you guys sitting here talking about being the greatest. No, like you should be the one of the least of these. And then mm-hmm. if you, you know, and then he brings the child over here. Maybe you can understand it better if I tell you this. You should be more, you know, concerned mm-hmm. about these children and receiving them than, than <laughs> being the greatest. Period. Yeah. Right. And then, and then the other question is: Is this other guy ordained? Yeah. So is, is that guy allowed to preach the message? Then they go on because they say that teacher, we saw somebody casting out demons in your in your name. But now they're not one of us. They're not in our group. So we told them to stop. And Jesus is like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, like if, if they're doing this and they're using my name, but he's not, they're not going to talk bad about me. And they're doing the work that we're talking about here. They're healing people. And, the, yeah. and, and so there's a, there's a part here where it's kind of like, it's not about, it's not about the logo or it's not about being in the right group or even really if you need to spend your time, I mean, I would say here, if you need to spend your time following Jesus, that's great. But I think what Jesus was also saying, you can exercise your own individual ability to help heal people. Take my message and take it on the road with you. Go do it. We don't need to stop people that are doing it just because they're not hanging out with us. Like hang out with us as long as you need to learn something from me. But I, you know, and honestly, like he knows he eventually, he knows he's going to be heading out and that they all have to take over you know, this without him anyway. Right. And so it's kind of like, how do we get this, this group ready in time? Um, and, but isn't this, isn't this amazing, Stacey? It's like so many times churches are, are always fighting about who gets authorized to do what and who's the real church. And here's Jesus in Jesus own day. And he doesn't care about denominations. Right. (laughs) He's like, okay, he's, he, he doesn't even know this guy. Right, but he's saying if he's using if he's if he's in my name doing this, you know, yeah. I guess also he knows that the power wouldn't be there. I mean, you might know him like Santa him. Claus knows him, you know, like like, no, like but like they're not acquainted. <laughs> There's some some guy down the road, and he's and he's kind of preaching a similar message and he's and he's doing good work and he's fighting evil. Yes, and I think yeah. So I think there's this. Uh, our, our friend Heather um, was talking about how important she she's been really thinking about this idea of. Um, division, division in the church, and how I mean, basically and <laughs> how harmful keeping people away division is. Yeah. And you know, we we it's almost like you know we're after trying to protect the magic, if you will. Um, and Jesus's magic doesn't need to be protected, and right. it actually should. It's it's free to use and yes. to love and to heal. And the more... You're not trying to keep people coming through you. Right. And the more that you are... The more that you are able... Like, it, it's like... what, what Even the, the way that what Jesus is talking about is, is it's not like there's a scarcity of love. Like, love yeah. grows when love is shown. And healing brings healing. Yeah. All of these things aren't... They're not scarcity things. They're not things that we need to hold on to as if we've got a limited supply. It's the the more that we are able to embrace this, that then then the more that it spreads and it grows. So the application for people that are trying to make sure that they're not, you know, pounced upon by religious wolves is to note <laughs> that if somebody is really addicted to telling you how important their specific dispensation of the goods is, mm-hmm. that is not a person to be trusted. 
Yeah. If, they, if they're constantly talking about how you need their magic and only they can give you the magic, then that's not enlightenment. That's not salvation. <laughs> it's certainly not good news, right? Because right. so, what, what the disciples wanted was they wanted to be the only ones. They were that authorized. Could, yeah, and so if Jesus goes away, and he'd been talking about his own death, if Jesus goes away, well, they're the ones who are going to inherit this special guru status. And the other guy who was doing work in Jesus' name threatened not Jesus, right. but the apostles, you know, the disciples that wanted to have a special status. And, I mean, this is why the Western Church... For, for all the majesty of, of, like, say, the Episcopal system, the, the dedication to this hierarchy yeah. that Jesus totally blows up is just weird, right? It's weird that we do it. It's weird, it's weird that it's so explicitly not cool with Jesus, but we, but we still do it. And we're fighting, especially, and it could be the smallest denomination, by the way. Yeah. Sometimes, like, sometimes these small denominations, that's where all the, the fighting gets really bitter. I mean, it's bitter in all of it, right? Like, who's going to run things? Well, and, it, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, we have, we have traveled many different countries. Um, we've ourselves been a part of many different, uh, you know, denominations here and in the U.S. Types of church, and, yeah. And different types of churches and things. And, and it's like when, when somebody is embodying the way of Jesus when they embody the gospel, like mm-hmm. it is so obvious and evident yep. and, it, and it's like, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's tempting to sometimes say like, well, where did, where do you get that? I want that. And so then like you go and look to see what practices they might be up to or what groups that they're affiliated with. Right. Right. How many praise songs do they do before <laughs> three? And, um, then you're and like, we want to turn it into a formula yeah, that we yeah. can replicate. And, you know, again, it's, it's bigger than that. Yeah, and it's love. <laughs> I mean, this is in the, the Bible, right? It's like, it's because I was, as you were saying this, I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, there's some of my friends and I would have rolled my eyes at this thinking, oh, are you saying, you know, you only need a spirit filled church, you know, where everybody's kind of got this kind of weird Kool-Aid, you know, kind of buzz going um, no. no. <laughs> what do you mean, right? Because it's not that. No, yeah. It's, it's who feels it knows it. It's like you, when you're there, it's not that everybody's got some goofy glazed over look. No, it's, it's, it's the people that the you know that they would, they would look out for the least of these. It's the people that you know and you They're just... allies. The way that... And they, and they don't do it. And that's another thing too. When they, when they are, um, you know, even like with the children, it's like... It's almost as if because they see them as like real human beings. You're real talking about the true ecclesia, indiv- the true sangha, individuals, the true uma. Yeah, well, and I'm, and I'm saying that that often when when we think that we're going to come in, um, like this is one thing I've learned uh, again, you know, with death doula work, that if you come in and you you think that you're going to be a helper or a rescuer, you know, or um, that if you're you know those kinds of things can sometimes uh, turn people away because then it somehow you know, it's like as if they're less than and as if they, you know, need somebody's help. Instead, yeah. if you're coming alongside them and you're partnering with them, it's like we're going to do this together. Yeah. And I think that that 
like when, you know, we sometimes, and it's okay to say that we want to help people, but if we're helping almost for our own egos or that there's something that we're getting out of it because we're helping somebody oh, lower it, than us. This goes back This goes back to the thing with the, the undercover boss, that there is a way in which people do charity work, yes. especially this like, you know, Western white people go and do charity work and then take selfies of them Doing handing the charity food work. And, to and, poor kids and of color. And that's all and, it was, really. It was just about this... I guess usually reinforcing status and it's usually an opportunity. Yes. For you to be able to then see how these people live, be grateful for what you have, I guess. And then usually, you know how (laughs) you want to try to maintain it because you don't want to be necessarily as poor as these other folks. Right. Right. And, and yet you come in for a time, (laughs) you come in for a time and you, you help them. Um, but then like, you know, that's one of the times that sometimes is that most detrimental relationships is that when we come in, somewhere we plop down a bunch of things for a moment right um and then and then we walk away and it kind of sometimes screws up even that their whole society or you know like for instance um you know if we come in and we drop in a bunch of money right right and then we you know we bring jesus and then we walk away from it all and it's like jesus they have, soap and vaccination they sometimes have these like buildings are things that don't all, they start to fall apart and they don't work anymore they don't they never were learned they never learned how to maintain it they were just given something right this was a problem uh in this village that we went to uh in guatemala and uh, there was a relationship between our uh, college and this spot and it was really good it was one of the best things that because it was on, I've ever it was seen. ongoing relationship ongoing right? relationship um and uh, and really a constant conversation about what they needed so like and um my role was like you know educating educators right so just kind of letting them do their thing but coming in and infusing some stuff um but the problem was that people were starting to experience all sorts of really bad um uh, debilitating diseases, these children getting these amoebas from the water. So we were going in putting in water filtration. Um, and uh, the reason we had to do this is because all of the water supply had originally come in after a, a earthquake and the international community said, oh, let's help them out. And so everybody raised a bunch of money for the poor people of Guatemala. They put in the infrastructure, but it's now all falling apart. Gotcha. So it's cracking and, and, and they, they weren't given the tools to, to know how to maintain it and nobody cares anymore because they don't have an earthquake. Right. And so, yeah, to that point, so the, but that idea that sometimes when you go in there, instead of having this conversation uh, that has mutual respect, that at least you're trying really hard for that, uh, it can become a way to put people in a subservient role. Yeah. Yeah. And somewhere where we, you know, again, are exerting our power our status, you know, whatever all, you know, our, our, our money, whatever all of that is, um, you know, over others. And, and that's not how you serve people. When you serve people, you are with them. You are part of that, the going there with the lowest of them all. Mm -hmm. You know, when Jesus said, you know, be the servant of all, like be, Mm -hmm. be like the lowest, like that's what he's talking about. Like be there with them. Like, Get your hands in there, you know, really understand that. And let me give you one more with the kids. Don't just give them a hug, which is so cute. I love that Jesus giving the kid a hug. Like, that's a, that's a real tender thing that you don't get in a lot of the ancient sages, you know. But, um, but it's also this. Listen to the kids. Yeah. You're your own kids. If you have kids or grandkids or just there's kids in your community, if the kids are unhappy, if the kids are looking s- sour and sad, 
if they're, if they look like they're burdened when they're going to your programming or when they're coming to your community, that's a, that's something to pay attention to. Right. Cause what we're going to do is we're going to say, well, the kids seem sad, but the uh, authorities, the people in power say that this is the way it's supposed to be. Well, not only does Jesus say that you should pay attention to the perspective of the children in these texts here that we're looking at. Um, also, he wants to make sure we don't have a roadblock. So we were talking about Central America. You've been following a lot of the Pan American uh, Highway yeah. people, the van life people. Right. And there's it's all, a really I mean, precarious all, time. Well, yeah. I mean, now it's all a whole nother level because of COVID. But even before that, there was a lot of unrest in some of the countries and just getting through. They would have, you know, they would basically have where they would burn tires and things like that, but just setting up, you know, essentially these ways of blocking the road so you couldn't get through. And then when you did try, and especially if you're, you're slowing down because there's fire and stuff, they're slashing your tires, they're, you know, breaking your windows and things like that. And so anyway, but it's all to detract them from, you know, going along on that road, going, you know, and so they... Is this because they don't want people infecting them on, with the virus right now? No, no, no. this is before the virus. Right. Now, now they're gonna it's different. They're, they're going to have you. They're going to bribe you. They're going to hold you for ransom or something like this. And a lot of times it was civil unrest, and they wanted to choke out, I guess, certain areas right. and not allow people to cross through on certain roads. Um, and it was to make a point, you know, because they were, uh, you know, frustrated with the government or things like that. Now. Um, now, I mean, it's different. There's all sorts of roadblocks that are just border patrol, essentially, uh-huh. and not allowing people that could possibly be infected coming through. And yeah. so they just don't want. But in all this, this is a, you know, for those of you who grew up in uh, North America, maybe this is not something that you run into very often. But when you're traveling around the world, especially overland folks, we're, right now we're on our, um, on our, our truck camper. camper. <laughs> we were going to get, um, well, we were, we were hoping to take our Delica all the way down to, say, Panama or something, but, uh, and farther. But they said that uh, if you have a right-hand vehicle, they won't let you through. It, not in Panama. Not yeah. in Panama. So we couldn't go farther than that. So then we thought, well, we'll now we got our Ford F-350 four-wheel drive, and we could take this, this baby down. <laughs> this is, these don't seem to be times right now yeah. for uh, traveling the Pan-American well, and, highway. And, and then what they say, too, is that, you know, especially when there are things like lockdowns and stuff, like... Other countries, it's not like America even. And, and, and so you want to, you know, protest being lo- in lockdown for a certain time. It's going to be locked down. <laughs> that's, you know, yeah, it's not going to go well for you, and especially being a foreigner. So you have no rights, essentially, they're, they're, as they're a saying, foreigner. They're saying the, the uh, cartels in Mexico are, like, enforcing it. <laughs> All, everybody here, we're in Huntington Beach where Huntington Beach was very defiant of the state rules. This is, Huntington Beach is this weird kind of hard edge. OC. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like, you know, a little bit of racism, a little bit of fight, a little bit of piss and vinegar, um, a little bit of, uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, a little, little bit of that libertarian side of things as well. And um, that's why if we're up here on the, on the top, the wind just blows through. So as long as the seals don't have COVID-19 <laughs> and the 15 people right behind us, we should be all right. I think we're, yeah, we're probably not but, in our wind path even. <laughs> but as we digress, I mean, I just want to say that it, it, there's like an emotional thing about roadblocks. Roadblocks kind of put you in this spot of, I want to get aid to my mom or I, I want to get to this other place and somebody's stopping me from traveling. It's a, it's a weird thing when I, you know, when we traveled through into mainland China from Shenzhen, yeah. Yeah. it felt really weird. It was like going through, it was all very nice. But it was like going into like Mordor or something that these, these big gates that other human beings, other spirits, other political entities yeah. are going to stop my body from going from this part of the globe to that part of the globe. Mm-hmm. It's a really weird feeling, these boundaries. Yeah. Well, here's the kingdom of God. Well, <laughs> and Jesus is saying, don't put 
a stumbling block. Well, what could be that stumbling block? You're not allowed to come to our church unless you like, you know, clean up your act or you look right. Or do you know what I'm saying? Whatever you're doing to keep the kids from the true church is that stumbling block in addition to abusive behaviors. Well, and I would imagine, um, you know, it kind of, there's a couple of things because you had, you know, before we got off all on the Pan-American thing, which I want to add one last thing. We're just looking out at the highway. It's hard to stay on track. <laughs> but one last thing I will say about that is that um, what I have heard on, also in some of these countries that they are getting really upset at Americans, especially even if Americans had been there the whole time, that yeah. we, because we have such a high rate of, of the virus here, that right. as if we are almost contaminated with it already, and that just yeah. being an American means now that you are exposed or, you know, and that will expose them. It was like what a lot of Asian Americans experienced in the United States. Exactly. They didn't have to necessarily have just come off. Now America, just so you know, (laughs) in a lot of these countries is the, you know, just our, our national, just having American passport, you know, will make people not want you in their country. Yeah. And when you are trying to travel, um, just FYI, but that's a whole nother note (laughs) back to, but you were saying before, you know, if you're, if the kids are coming into church and they're sad or, yes. you know, or in your groups and things. And I think there's a couple things going on there. One, I mean, is there something about the church experience or, you know, or even how they're relating to their peers or whatever that is making them sad? Um, you know, or is, you know, is it somehow that they're, you know, they're not connecting with the information or the lessons that are being taught or who knows? The ideas could be tormenting. So it could the, be that. The physical behaviors could be tormenting. And the other thing, it could even just simply be... Um, you know, if you know, kids sometimes they have a lot of stuff going in their, in their, going on in their lives, and I know that it, it means a whole lot usually to a kid who definitely seems, you know, like that they are down, that they've got things that are going on or whatever. That if if somebody stops and cares and talks to them and just says, "Hey, what's going on with you?" Yeah. Just somebody that's going to listen, somebody that's paying attention, you know. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, like. A, we might even just say, oh, moody teenagers or something, right? Well, even if it is just their moodiness, but uh, like, what is it that they're processing? Because they're going through so much, right? And that's yeah. our opportunity to really be there for them. Can and I give an example? Yeah. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, I went to crazy school, crazy Christian school. Um, I was miserable. And I wasn't entirely sure the extent to which other people might have been miserable. But when some things came to the surface, like me running away, And some of the parents talking to other parents, they said, you know, they're all kind of traumatized by this. And we weren't even the, like, well, we were probably, I would say we were maybe the worst of the Christian schools in the OC at the time. There was one down the road that my buddy Chris went to that I thought was like the nice one, the chill one. Uh And he said it was traumatizing. Uh oh. (laughs) You know, I think, you know, that, you know, um, so, so. But what do you do to avoid this? I mean, if our Bible study is about helping people to minimize the risk to children in religious communities, here's where it's at. Have constant feedback from the kids that is as best you can um, solicited in a way that's safe. So it's not like senior pastors asking, how do you like my children's sermons or whatever? But you're actually trying to get that feedback from the kids that that we, we'd ask for from adults, yeah. right? Because what if they're having a miserable time? Then why are you wasting your time? Mm-hmm. And if the church won't do it that you go to, why don't you do it? You know, like really understand whether the kids are getting something out of it. And I, you know, I'd also say that... And if they are good, by the way. Well, well <laughs> right? and, that's, and that's the thing too, is that sometimes, and we've talked about this already in a prior lesson, um, that we have, you know, we have this concept or we think that uh, we're, you know, born bad, 
right? Disgusting. Absolutely Loathsome. disgusting. Yeah. We just that this is a Christian principle, and I and I and we said that that's an error. That right. actually, you, you know, no, that that's not what we, we weren't meant. We are not essentially evil, right? And I think that sometimes when we have when we have this feeling, especially as adults um, or, or leaders or teachers or parents, that our children are trying to be bad on purpose because that is right. somehow in their who they are. Right. Um, I know. I know this. Kids often mimic behavior they see. Oh, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> where are they picking up some of these, you know... Listen if, if to you, me, Linda. <laughs> if you don't like some of these behaviors. <laughs> that's, that's perfect, though. But, yeah, a kid doesn't talk like that without overhearing, you know, somebody <laughs> saying, Linda, Linda, listen, hey, listen to, to me. Listen to me, Linda. You know, you're, you're not two and three years old <laughs> saying that kind of talk to, you know, to Linda, by the way, who's his, his mother. mom. <laughs> you know, it's an old We're talking one, about a video meme, yes. Yes, I'm sure you probably have all heard about it. If, if we'll, we'll somehow try to link to it I'll on our show it. notes yeah, if you haven't, me, but it's, that's, it's way kind of past done. But it is that, that concept that, that children will mimic. And, and we, you know, all of you that are parents, you know words that you may not want them repeating. Of course, they're going to repeat, and they know they get attention from that, right? And so I would say when you're seeing behavior that you don't appreciate in a child, um, you know, where are they getting that from? Is yeah. it a bully that, that's, you know, an, a, a peer? Is it, you know, a, a situation at home? Is it an uncle, brother, whatever? But Are they acting out because of some unexpressible or a not yet expressed problem right. that they're facing. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think that we would do well to not just assume um, the bad and not just, you know, try to listen and also try to figure out what's going on in, in their lives. Because they can't always, um, I mean, the whole point, children often aren't able to defend themselves. Right. Which is why I think anybody that is in um, a lesser position in society isn't as equipped to be able to stand up for themselves the way that somebody with the privilege does. And I think it's important for us when you are in a position that has more power than somebody else that's, you know, lower in your status in in their status in society, that we be mindful of that and that we look and see, are they crying out for help? Do we need to back them up? Do we need to, you know, stop uh, behavior that is is not right that, that they're being subjected to, you know, they may not be able to stop and, and say that. And, and the children are a prime example of, you know, this is, this is what happened. They are always at the mercy of their parents, their yeah. leaders, the adults. Um, and so we got to pay attention. Childhood's terrifying <laughs> when you think about it. I mean, when you have, when you're put in the care of the wrong people, it definitely is. Well, if you were up and in, he- <laughs> if you're up in heaven and somebody said, Hey, like, I'm going to put you back in a body. We'll do it. It's fun, right? But the part that's scary and the part that's the most beautiful is being a child. Yeah. Right? Like being a child's great. Because then you, a, like your problems you, are like, you know, you, different. Yeah. <laughs> when you're able to be carefree yeah. and you don't have, you know, you don't have big people problems yet. But you know. the vulnerability to madness. Yeah. You have no, no control or say. Most people I know are a little crazy. <laughs> And some then, of them have kids. Yeah. <laughs> and we're and crazy. Are, we, are t- yeah, we are too. So, and we, you, know, you know, we're trying so hard. And then like all the same things. Because like the other day, both of our kids were kind of being all heavy. Like we spanked them. And I don't remember ever spanking the kids. I remember like pushing, like, kind of kicking Aiden because he punched me in the groin. <laughs> there were, there were, we're like, we, we were made fun of as the like, 
the 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 weak sauce that wouldn't hippies spank our, that don't want to spank our kids. And I, and I, but we might have spanked them one or two times or whatever, and they remember that so much. Yeah, isn't that wild? Right. My point is is that like we're the ones who are made fun of for for saying that we don't want to spank our kids, and what they remember is that what the poor children yeah. that have to endure this. Like, man, and if this is you, this is probably most of us, because most of us is like still like kind of look at our wounds from childhood, whatever they may be. But I mean, if it was hard, man, that's so hard because that vulnerability. Yeah. Well, and this is, I mean, honestly, this is just so minor and I, you know, I. We're going to shift I'm, towards I'm, the upbeat fun stuff. I'm here. almost, no, but I'm, hipsters I'm almost afraid. I'm almost afraid to even say this because it's like, sounds like, oh, woe is me kind of thing. But <laughs> it was funny. Because I was just recently, I was talking with my folks and um, there was conversation about memories and things like that with a whole group chat with my sisters and stuff. And, and everybody's starting to remember this incident where um, I spilt a milkshake uh, at some sort of like fast food type place. I think right? it's funny that you all remember this. Yes. And, and here's the other thing too. So then they all like, you know, uh, I have one of the sisters that's proposing it was that, you know, a, a one-off. And I'm like, no, I know it was at a, it, it was at a Del Taco. <laughs> I, so I know it was fast food. I know it was Del Taco. And I know it was a vanilla milkshake. And I know that it wasn't just one. It was because I also spilt the second one. So when I spilt the first one, my dad cleaned up the mess, right? Yeah. Then got me a replacement. And, and within seconds of me getting the second one, I spilt it again. Ooh. And I didn't get a third, nor could I think I would have ever even been able to stomach even trying to take no, a sip. No, you don't even of, want to think about milkshakes. Of the third, you know, and and yet my whole family remembers this incident, and they, you know, with more or less, you know, the details, you know, getting correct or whatever. I remember it all, and I can even envision the exact booth I was in. I see myself sitting there. I see my dad. I see my two sisters. And like, so I'm just saying I have this whole complete, you know, flash uh, in my mind of this thing. And that's just like, and it was traumatic for me because I just remember my dad being, you know, so upset. And yet, you know, of course he's got now double mess, right? And with three little ones, like there were three of us within three years. So when one thing happens, you know, it's just chaos afterwards and the breakdown of all of it. But I'm just... I'm not trying to spill a milkshake, and yet I'm, you know, there's all this sort of trauma, if you will, related to this whole incident. Chaos and, and painful emotions all swirling around. Well, and I, think, and, and I think that the reason that, to me, it also was just so memorable was that I didn't mean to do it, and I couldn't really have thought of how I would have done it differently to avoid it. Yep. And so it's that lack of being able to avoid it, you know, that it just happened. And then it causes this reaction and this, you know, chaos and frustration. And it makes you think the whole family. And it makes you think that, that I'm evil, like I'm well, bad. And then I did, you know, I did this, but yeah. like, I know I didn't do it on purpose. But yet I, I own the, the shame. You are just, yeah, you of, are this catastrophe that's brewing. Right. And so that's just a small little thing. That wasn't even getting spanked, <laughs> you know? I mean, this is just, you know, a frustration over spilled <laughs> milkshake. <laughs> um, and and yet like, I can remember, you know, mm-hmm. so much of the memories around that. And you could imagine, you know, for other people that had to endure, you know, definitely worse at the hands of, you know, their parents and yeah. leaders and things or let's like just take that. Or let's just take it to really bad approaches to Sunday school. Yeah. Right? I mean, 
Well, it can be terrifying. Yeah. If you're if you're at Sunday school and all of a sudden you're told that either your best friend or maybe one of your parents or your grandparents maybe you know are going to be in hell for all of eternity. Because they're that, Methodist or something. You know, yeah. <laughs> like they, right? they have a little different version of, of yeah. Jesus. Like that is, that's traumatizing for a kid. Like, or just like getting them all like worked up about like, you know, I mean, really, we, we had a question. Somebody was asking about uh, purity culture and we'll maybe get to that. We, it's been done on other shows, but um, there's this, um, this fixation with sexuality yeah. to um, loathing, self-loathing about having sexual feelings at precisely the time when kids always have the sexual right. feelings. And so your, your physiology, biology, yeah. all your hormones, all of this is all just happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't, don't like, think about, you can't help that. Don't think about sex, kids. But then you get told, yeah. not only should you not think about it, but if you like all of a sudden envision something or whatever, now like it's lust. And then that's just also just as bad as if almost you had committed any sort of I, I wish the sexual evan- act. I wish the evangelical churches would have gotten together when we were kids and had a group of social psychologists uh, and actually probably just therapists get together and run a couple basic studies to see how we were doing with that form and not have the state do it, but have the churches themselves say with like an external, with like an external consultant. Yeah, what becomes... How much is what Sunday school is teaching them jacking these kids up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that would be an interesting study. Kids, if you want to, you know... <laughs> well, we should... We should study if, it. Yes. At some point, we will uh, we, we'll address... Um, purity culture. Purity culture a little bit. And, but that's and, just one of many things that are like that. But it, also bigger than purity culture. I think it's just sexuality in general, I yeah. think, in the churches is an appropriate topic. Um, which, yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep you yeah. updated on that. But... Well, back to back to what we're doing here. When yeah. you're saying when you're saying this is an emotionally heavy thing for you to remember, the milkshake spilled twice. Yes, and this is everybody that's listening. I'm sure can have those moments. You could start reflecting on those moments that are vivid because of this powerlessness. You're in a world where, whether or not you are trying to be good, somebody's going to get angry. Somebody's going to get spanked. Somebody's somebody's going to be upset, right? And that kind of world. And that lack of peace, that lack of being able to rest is so hard. For, and if we can remember it in ourselves, then we should be extra dutiful, extra careful to just always be checking in with the kids. Yes. Or having somebody else that's an expert do it. Because we don't, unless we want them to be suffering, most of us don't want our kids to be suffering. Yeah, and we just don't always understand what they're going through or... You know, to be honest, too, it's hard sometimes to get them to talk to us and tell us what's going on. You know, there's often a lot going on, you know, behind the scenes that maybe they don't even really have words for exactly yet. You know, Um, they have feelings and things and and then they're not sure even what to do with it or, you know, just trying to even process it. Right. Your your prefrontal cortex. Right. Doesn't it's not fully even developed until I think in your 20s, right? Yep. And it's all your judgment and decision and making. That's what they say, at least. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 so there's a lot of things that are, you know, your brain is still developing, right? And you're still not, you know, totally comfortable in your own skin and what's going on. And then now, like, you know, to put words to all of that, too, has got to yeah. be really difficult. And so definitely having people that are professionals is helpful, but um, just, but also giving them the space and the freedom and, and taking the time. I know with our, with our youngest, we'll ask a question and 
we may or may not get an answer, but then sometimes like the next day, yes, Aiden will come back and then be like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready now. Like well, we told we- <laughs> Aiden to, to read this Enneagram chapter on his, in his Enneagram number nine. Yeah. And it said, no, I'm not going to read that crap. <laughs> and, and I just said, you know, we said it would be helpful if you did, because then you can just tell us whether it's something you identify with or if it's just a load of garbage. And then, then he just walked to his room and started playing video games. <laughs> and then literally a day or two later came by and said, okay, I'm ready to read that chapter. Yeah. And That's my whole family, by the way. <laughs> All you guys. You'll always say no first. <laughs> then maybe you'll come around, yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think for me, it's like, I don't know... It, well, whatever. We don't need to go into all that, but <laughs> no, but 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 so, but sometimes it's hard. So I guess. So what I'm saying is, is that they're uh, Aiden's listening. Yeah. Whether or not. Yes. And it may not be the right time to talk about it or do something, but they might come around. If and nothing know, else, the invitation. The invitation is like, there, re- you know, and really mean it. Really be present and ask those questions. Yeah. So that they can, because it's not going to be easy. There, because like, hey, you know. You're learning traumatizing things in, you know, in Sunday school. Yeah. Um, they may or may not want to jump right on that. So, But always talking to them about what they have learned in Sunday school is interesting if they're yep. willing to talk about it. And, and establish a relationship where there's trust and mm-hmm. they're open and, and having a conversation with you. So in our Protect Your Noggin with Jesus studies, there's another section in this particular chapter where it says uh, the heading is woke spiritual hipsters. Yes. So what do you mean by that? Uh, that was, yeah. And Stacy's actually asking because uh, she read it yesterday and I put that in there. So you're like, what are you talking about? And uh, I think we're going to keep it. Can we keep that section? Yeah. All right. Now that we're talking about it, it makes more sense. Uh, anyway, the woke, spirit, <laughs> the woke spiritual hipster, uh, I don't know if you know who the hipsters uh, were. Uh, hipsters, kind of this late 90s, early 2000s uh, kind of uh, ironic mustache, um, craftsmanship's important, um, but you know it's, it was a stylistic thing, an aesthetic, and um, and there were, I like the hipsters. I think people give the hipsters a lot of bad uh, press. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there is a kind of in this town a kind of an association between certain kind of maybe a little more racist groups and hipsters, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, we've met Japanese Japanese hipsters. I, if it means being, you know, interested in um, having kind of cool, like, independent films and local bands and knowing these kind of obscure artists, then I think it's great. If it's about quality over mass production, I think that's great. So there's nothing, you know, nothing wrong with that. But the problem, one of the big problems with the hipsters, uh, besides sometimes also moving into areas and gentrifying them, that's another side issue, but uh, the hi- hipsters are, you know, kind of famous for not wanting their band to make it big, mm. right? So they want their band to stay playing in small venues, but the band needs to make money. Yeah. <laughs> so there's always this kind of battle between, you know, like that crowd that doesn't want you to sell out, gotcha. right? You're starting local. And uh, I, we always like local bands. We like going Absolutely. to Yeah, in fact, yeah. <laughs> and to your point, I mean, it, it, it does make us a little sad sometimes when, um, when one of our favorite bands does get a little bigger and then we can't necessarily see them on that, you know, yeah. that real, like that community personal type level of watching them perform. It becomes more yeah. of a production. Um, and yeah. that, you know, you're just one of the crowd and not, you know, a bunch of people that are coming together to celebrate 
music and dance right. together. Like a par- and- right. So if you go to, we saw Calexico at the Casbah in 2000. It's like watching somebody perform versus being a part of the party. Is- yes. Right. Being part of the party. So we, like, we went to the, we went to the, the, the Casbah and yes. there were like these three rooms basically kind of, uh, kind of going out from the stage and we're putting our beers on the corner of the stage and we're hanging out there and there's the mariachi loose the luna and everybody's having a good time and everybody's making a lot of noise and we're all on the same level it was wonderful you even made it on their live album uh, made it on the live album <laughs> we were making a hoot and a holler and uh, that was great and then at the kind of peak of their success mm-hmm. i think they might have like kind of hit this this spot where they were playing larger amphitheaters but like like kind of you had to sit mm. in a soft seating, you know, and it wasn't the same thing, mm. right? So it was kind of that mid mid range. I think and that we, also. We really sad I think part of that was people when, that didn't really care about them I were there. That, <laughs> I think part mad. of that though is when we were in Seattle because Seattle Seattle's a thing. They stopped doing kind of because they were known for their the music the scene. music scene, but then it got a little crazy. They did a few things that changed. So they started yeah. like giving you seats and putting it in theaters so it wouldn't be so rowdy. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Yeah, and, it wasn't. And you would have drinks at the intermission, almost like a I, theater or something like that. Seeing shows in Denver was much better than seeing shows in, in, Seattle. in Seattle. And you're learning all of this with Jesus and Stacy and Jeff <laughs> and uh, the beautiful, beautiful beach here. But, the, but one of the things that happens is that, that people that escape uh, bad religion, bad forms of religion, sometimes are impatient with friends that aren't as far along as mm. they are. Sometimes folks have a hard time letting people be kind of partway fans, right? Like So like yeah. the hipster is like the deep fan of this indie band, but they don't like it if you just kind of know who they are. They disdain you. And what Jesus is talking about here is this this way in which you don't need to kind of possess the gospel. When you're talking about like with the children and things like that, I I have so often heard some of these, um, you know, pastors or theologians like l- so upset and and getting into the biggest controversies over various doctrinal issues, okay? Right. And they're actually, like, small little hair things that they're splitting a little bit sometimes, right? But I get it. Like, it might... It, I see that these things have a bit bigger implications. I totally get it. But yet, they, are, they aren't using even that same amount of energy to protect the abuse that's been going on sometimes from the children in their churches. They don't want the the Lord's Supper abused by having it raised too high or not raised at all or put onto the wrong cloth. They don't see the damage that's being (laughs) done on the behalf of the entire way of Jesus and the gospel. Should you wear white lace over a black outfit? (laughs) Should you have like a long, you know. Could they just have that energy (laughs) when they're defending the children, (laughs) you know, sometimes or, you know. Or what the difference, yeah, with the difference between like a district VP or a bishop is or you know I don't how know. much power do I have if I'm a deacon or is there such a thing as a deacon you know, th- th- those are great questions <laughs> but but the safety of children it, it, that should be first and foremost you know um, that should that should have a little more of that that whatever that angst <laughs> is whatever it is that wants you know drives them to want to protect yeah. something you know can they just protect the little ones you know can okay. they protect so so you're still saying so kind of going to the hipster thing it's okay for people to have like a real specialist passion so if you're like a hipster you might be really into um, like certain like shaving kits and you like know all about like different German razors or something <laughs> and uh, a, a religious person might be really deeply into of, you know, 14th century 
uh, theological debates because they're interesting and it's fun. It's enjoyable to go deep into knowledge for its own sake. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with that. When, when you let those fights become the thing itself uh, and that, um, that addiction to being a know-it-all about your unique yeah. thing, then that's where it's, that's where it's off where, track. Have yes. fun with it. But, the, but, but here's the big thing welcome people in. It's about hospitality. And this is, this is now where we're shifting. Up until this point, the first nine chapters, we've been basically saying, here we're trying to empower people to be able to have a little spunk, being able to push back against the religious wolves, be able to evade their, their schemings, mm-hmm. right? But now we're saying, once you've done that, once you've started to establish your own authority within your own life, there's also this idea in which you should not make it so hard for other people to wake up with you or to be part of the same cause as you. So on the, the church side, maybe churches should work together a little bit more in the world, even when you realize there's some church groups that are stupid. <laughs> they're just goofy, right? Like, so, like, I'm not saying they're all the same. And maybe yours is the best. And you should go to the one that you think is the best if you go to church, right? right. And it's good to have a brand uh, so that you know that it's, a, it's, it's quality, Right, and you know that yeah. it's on track. These are all good, but whenever you get this cult-like idea that only my sacraments work, mm-hmm. you know that only you know, then it's proprietary, and that's the the patent that's, that we're asking you to lose. Right. But so that's the church conservative church people. But I want to say to the to the woke people, to the woke spiritual hipsters, if you want other people to wake up, I think you, we, all together have to help each other rise up. To a, to a higher consciousness of, of what it means to follow Jesus, to be, to be a decent person, to be spiritual, to be ethical in this world. We want everybody to wake up. It is very hard for people to wake up if they start to wake up and they get in trouble for the other parts of them that haven't fully figured it out come, a, come around, right? And, and yeah. So I think what, you know, yeah, so what, <laughs> what you're saying here is that when people finally are coming around and seeing, you know, okay, I see how we made some mistakes here, right? And and how we're doing this wrong. That we need to be, um, you know, welcoming of those folks. And that there has to be a way forward and a way to be able to move past this, right? Like, And they will have fundamentalist accents and racist accents. And that what, can't be... And, is, we, and we need to point it out in love to say, that sounds racist and we... but. Is the goal to right. keep them stuck or is the goal to help them along and allow them to see closer and closer what it is to, you know, be embracing the way of, of Jesus, right? There's nothing uglier than an ex-fundamentalist that just loves to mock people that looked just like them three years ago. Yeah. And, um, As if they now, like how they know right. better, you know. Right. Um, they're, getting their, they're getting their kicks on the fact that they've arrived. It's this like Gnosticism. That's not the point. No. The point is if somebody's under a delusion that's making them sad, you want to bring them back to love, joy, happiness, and connection to God Almighty. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or like, you know, uh, get them back centered into the source of their own spiritual healing but but and to I, just be always fighting people yeah, and to, and to think, show that you're better than them is not going to be helpful for either yeah of them. and i think sometimes you know it could even come from a space of you know that they are perhaps even feeling um 
vulnerable or not safe with certain people and certain individuals. I get that. You don't have to trust people who are now so, trying to sound cool. That happens. All, I, listen, oh, thank you for saying that because that happens all the time where people are saying, now I'm an ally. Now I'm a, you know, now I'm woke. And they just realized that the that the brand had to to have an upgrade, a facelift, but it's not really. So there part is of what a repentance that we're talking about, a waking yes. up and seeing things differently. But um, that that's different. From, but that's different from. Sorry. That's different from people that are just learning how to be a different yes. kind of wolf, right? <laughs> a wolf in, in sheep's clothes, right? Yeah. But just learning how a different that, system. Right. Yeah, we to. don't need to put up with people learning how to put on new sheepskins. That's the key. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, so the, tr- the true church, we, we understand the woke, the truly woke person is going to realize what the gospel is and what's a not gospel. And so uh, the wolf in sheep's clothing concept is maybe they were wearing an old-fashioned <laughs> sheep's clothing. Now that the, the sheep's clothing has been updated, they're going to just try to update that yeah. No, 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 we don't want that. And there are people that you, as we said in an earlier show, you never have to trust them. So it's discernment. You know, if somebody's done something really harmful, you don't ever have to trust them. But if somebody had bad views and they didn't understand before and they were supportive of somebody maybe that sh- they shouldn't have supported, but now they're coming around, you should welcome them with open arms. It's like the, the sheep, the lost yeah. sheep. You know, Jesus says more, more rejoicing in heaven for a person who, who gives up their bigotry yeah. than there is for everybody who's just been kind of cool all along. And I think that, um, yeah, God's kingdom is so much bigger than we often, you know, want to give it credit for. And I think that there's all different areas and walks of life that we all can learn from each other in different ways. And even if you've gone down a certain spiritual path and how that means some, you know, there's a certain... I don't know, a denomination that you're in or whatever. It doesn't mean, though, that there isn't still something to learn from other people. Yes. And um, I think that if we start to close off and think that, you know, this little group that I formed here, this is the only people I should listen to. This is the yeah. only people I should associate with or whatever. That's scary. I think that yeah, you, you should at least read outside of your tradition you regularly. You won't know when your own poop stinks. Yes. <laughs> you know? And there's a lot of stinky poopy in the churches these days. Yeah. And they just don't notice it. I mean, they, they know that something's off maybe because, you know, there's distress. <laughs> I'm not always seeing a lot of peace Yeah, sometimes. And it depends on your, your tradition. I mean, uh, different denominations are experiencing different phases in their existence and different relationships to uh, the politics and the culture of our times. But it's... Um, it's in my experience that American evangelicals don't seem like they're walking around like Gandalf or even better. I mean, Gandalf's probably a bad example because, you know, the end of uh, the world kind of war was coming. But you know what I'm saying? You, you, you want to look for the people that are loving sages, and I've met those Christians. Right. And increasingly what I'm getting is a, a lot of uh, intensity, a lot of anger, a lot of uh, hostility yes. from people that... Which that only, bear the name of Jesus and or wear the logo. it creates more division. And it really does hinder, um, I think, that the true expression of what the kingdom of God is right here, what it can be right now. You know, that we, we find, you know, we want to keep it in just tiny little pockets sometimes or whatever, but not really even fully who we are in our own lives, mm-hmm. in all aspects of our lives, as well as, you know, just and everyone we meet. Yep. And we, can, and we can do that right here as long as we don't think that the way 
to get the kingdom of God on earth is to do it through primarily political means or by domination right. of the culture. Um, uh, through force. No. So in all of our walks of life and all of socioeconomic status, like it, every, everywhere that we, we touch the lives of other people, we can come alongside them, figure out, you know, what's going on there. Is there, is there a way that we can show the love of Jesus with them that we could? And what is it that, what is it that they would like tell us that we need to see? Yeah, I mean, listen, because yeah. there's, you know, there's something that they're experiencing that maybe would you wouldn't be totally blind to. Because because we, we should wrap this up, but like this is the thing I think that I've noticed in my own life is that in the last year is that um, the pe- sometimes people are thinking, all right, I got to go out there and bring Jesus to people mm-hmm. with, and I'm going to start launching off from my like my scene here, right, my church, and very often. I think the the part that I'm I'm thinking as I'm hearing you say this though is that there are so many ways in which people outside of your your normal crew could give you something really helpful for you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. People that don't have the official logo that I share could give me an insight that I can um, take and transform my own my own happiness or lack thereof mm-hmm. uh, in, in life. Does that make sense? Yeah, especially when you're, when you're all about just having this experience and be with them and really just being with your neighbor, being, you know, being with people. And when you have those real conversations, right, whenever you come in and it's from a position of power or something, think about it. You're, if your boss comes in and, you know, wants to know how your day is, are you ever going to give a real answer? Probably not, unless you think that the boss is definitely somebody that actually is listening and wants to hear, you know, what's really going on. Otherwise, you're probably just going to put, you know, a fake smile on your face and, you know, or or maybe, you know, there's somebody that, you know, will share no matter what. Um, but they're not also probably going to tell you the exact truth, right? But it's when you come alongside somebody, when you really in, start to invest in them and, like, you know, really care and listen, that that's when they want to share and that's what they really want to tell you what's going on. And, 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 and again, I can't tell you enough that that's how you can get in to the minds of your children yeah. <laughs> or the children that you're around. Um, you know, whoever's in your care, um, or anytime you're a boss or a leader over somebody, um, it's, you know, we think somehow that we have to, pr- uh, protect a certain image, you know, that we're in charge and that, you know, we, have it all together. Yeah. I mean, that's great if you definitely are showing that you are the leader here, but part of it is, is being able to listen and hear what the needs are, because if you, you don't pay attention to that, then you're going to miss the main point of what could help make your business more successful or the house run more smoothly. Like where, where are the cracks happening that you're not even, you know, realizing only listening to the people in control is a very dangerous thing for businesses. Yeah. You should you should really That's pay attention. There's a huge blind side. Just in practical terms, yeah. Yeah. But in but in all this I think um, I think it's it's pretty clear that we too often have have been allured uh, you know or we have been led astray in religious communities by this concern for power and who's in charge and who's got the authority. Yeah. And, and I- that's what's caused us some blind spots. And I think it's important, you know, going forward, if you have found yourself, 
in a situation where you realize you wished you had acted differently, that maybe you weren't paying attention to those that are underneath you or whatever. It's also not too late, um, you know, to even start fresh with the next relationship that is of that same status or, or even sometimes to apologize and explain even, you know, if, it, if, if you have children that you know you've messed up with or whatever, again, the, a lot of times there will be um, a receptivity towards it, especially if they know that you really mean it and that, and the only way that you know, could probably build that trust again is to consistently be like that. So of course, if they don't respond right away, then just be you and it's okay each step forward that you're doing it, that you can you know, now do it with this different mentality, right? That you can do it with this fresh, more servant perspective and people will see that, they'll notice that and your relationships going forward will be improved even if you can't change what happened in the past. That we are all in this one mission this one mission, struggling to find our way through it all, right? And, and all of our humanness and our brokenness. Um, yeah, to and, bring healing. And yeah, and then in our, in our times of joy and happiness as well, but the whole thing, all in that one mission uh, to bring healing and love to each other, uh, to experience what it is, you know, to be here on this beautiful, beautiful world, right? With other people. So I know it's hard, folks. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, I, I look at all the, you know, the mistakes that I've made. I've looked, you know, I look at all the times where I have gotten it wrong. Um, but the, you know, the one piece of hope that I, I definitely have and that I'm able to find, when I see somebody that is embodying this unconditional non-transactional way of being that Jesus taught us. Like, I know that there, there's hope in that. There's, that's the kingdom of God. And when I, when I taste it, when I see it, when I feel it, I just know the, the truth in that. And, and it sometimes comes in some of the most surprising places. And so I think that if we keep our our wits about us, our minds open and our eyes open for... And look for those allies who look, are, yeah, are look, passing are those that love people, on. Yeah. You know, that are joining you in this, this mission, this mission of unconditional love, this mission of, you know, of healing and, and everybody coming together and embracing that unconditional love. And, and in there, I know that's where we find that deep peace upon peace. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter no too much.